0: Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend.
1: Pass the gravy boat.
0: There's plenty to go around. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 In this season of Gravy, the Southern Foodways Alliance explores the Alabama Black Belt. Ever since James
1: Agee and Walker Evans traveled Hale County, Alabama, to research the magazine article that became the book, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, Outsiders have documented and pathologized the region.
0: Gravy aims to change that narrative by offering a series of episodes conceived and reported by people who live and work in Alabama.
1: Today's episode focuses on the very resource that put the black belt on the map, fertile farmland. Emily Blavoz reported the heck out of this one.
2: Alabama's Black Belt stretches in a strip roughly 25 miles wide across the center of the state and includes a quarter of Alabama's counties. Named for the rich soil that enabled cotton to flourish, the Black Belt was once the most prosperous and politically powerful region of the state. It held most of the state's enslaved people, and African Americans still comprise the majority of the Black Belt population today. In the 20th century, Black Belt soil was depleted by overuse. A massive part of the black population left in the Great Migration, and small farms decreased sharply beginning in the 1950s, reflecting a statewide pattern. Black Belt land transformed from family farms to commercial timber, hunting preserves, and wild acreage owned by families with new lives in other places. But lately, younger generations are returning to family land in the Black Belt. Andrew Williams, founder of the Deep South Food Alliance in Linden, Alabama, explains.
3: They remember the struggle that was there, you know, with their ancestors in acquiring the land. So today, people are more conscious of this land that granddaddy or great-granddaddy and them acquired, you know, and left to us. In and, and In many cases, now, a lot of them have, you know, gone off and, you know, got education and had good jobs and what have you, and and now they are coming back trying to preserve their legacy.
2: Andrew has made it his life's work to help small landowners in the Black Belt who are mostly African American. He has watched older generations leave, shunning agricultural life and the trauma of slavery and sharecropping it represents. And he has seen younger generations return, exploring farming as a source of healing, renewal, and stewardship. He begins with his own story.
3: I'm from Marengo County, Alabama, and that's in the midst of the western part of the Alabama Black Belt. Uh, I was born uh, in the Black Belt. As a matter of fact, I was born across the road from where I live now. Uh, I was brought into the world by a midwife.
2: Andrew's childhood was shaped by a neighborhood school teacher. Ms. Salome Bennett.
3: Oh, she, I went home with her, and she cleaned me up, got me some new clothes, and my first meal at her house it was a moon pie and a new grape soda in the bottle. You, you had to take a little little tool and you know take the top off the off the soda. And so I hit that moon pie a couple of times and, and took a couple of swigs out out of that new grape soda. Uh, hey, <laughs> I have a right. <laughs> so, so 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 but she taught me, she taught me about giving back.
2: Ms. Bennett often helped local families with groceries and other needs.
3: She knew the power of, of education. She knew the power of hope.
2: On this foundation, Andrew built a career at the Natural Resources Conservation Service, an agency within the USDA, where he strived to help underserved landowners. This was no easy feat, because the system was designed to capture progress in big pieces. For that reason, large landowners who were more often white tended to receive assistance before small landowners who were more often black. Andrew pushed for changes to better serve small landowners and even when his superiors were dismissive...
3: I didn't lose hope. I kept putting that on the table. And uh, they did allow me, as a part of my work, is to venture out and see what, was, what else was out there uh, in terms of, of, of programs and practices that would fit these smaller-scale folks. And I would take that back to the management table and say, you know, we need to consider some of these practices in our program. Well, why we need to do that? Because this will work for smaller producers wherein some of the other programs wa- weren't. So it was, it was about the system, and it was about petitioning the system to evolve so you could serve better.
2: In 2009, Andrew retired from the NRCS and founded the Deep South Food Alliance to help small landowners in the Black Belt which he insists must be done on a case-by-case basis and always begins with hearing the story of the land.
3: Sometimes you can carry your smart self out there on the land and start telling the land and the landowner what you need to do based on the research I've done and based on what I've learned uh, when I was in Colorado and all that. If you go with your own ideas and your own concept, there's a very good possibility that you will miss the target. We used to approach is okay, let's hear the story first. Let's see what the story is. You know, what's on your mind about this land? And then what it is that, that you want, want to do. And based on that story, then we walked the land, and the land began to speak back to us based on the story. And if you can make that connection, that spiritual connection, then you're ready to help them.
2: Andrew describes what he discovers while walking and listening.
3: If you go out and they say, well, all of these fields used to be cornfields and that means the soil type on this field is a certain type. It's good drainage, you know, because they, had, they was farming it. You know, if, if, if it's down in the lowland. Uh, you know, that was used for something else. So you the land is speaking to you then. There's certain uh, vegetation that grow on up on up, upland land. That's certain vegetation that grow on wetland land. Uh, you know it used to be a spring right here. Uh, it used to be a shade tree here or, or whatever. So So you have to be astute enough to process that information because that's good information. That's his dark information, and and if you're not attuned to uh, to African American landowner, you're not attuned to that. You have missed that
2: in the Black Belt today. Family land is often heir property land that has been passed down through the generations and divided between many family members, which complicates decision-making and usually results in the land reverting to wilderness. Andrew helps returning landowners tap into federal and state programs for timber management and conservation, and also helps those interested in growing food.
3: If they are farming, they're row cropping and what have you, and they be the soil, topsoil may be washing away, okay, what are the practices that I can apply uh to this land that I'm farming that will enable my uh soil health to to be better on this land. Can I plant cover crops? Uh, can I farm on the contour? You know, can I put more organic uh back into the soil? And one of the things that they were saying is produce uh, farmer was saying we need a place uh, where we that can serve as a clearing house or aggregation center where we could bring products and sell them.
2: So Andrew and his staff set up such a center, but volume proved a challenge. They had to source produce from far outside the Black Belt to meet local demand.
3: And, and then the other thing is that we started, we, we was hearing a lot of hype, I called it, about farm to school and growing locally and, and all of that. And so we, we began to petition the local school districts and we started selling them purple whole peas and chopped up collard greens and that kind of thing
2: and the arrangement worked well for a while, but then the school system stopped calling. They had started buying produce from a large corporate distributor for half the price. So
3: those are some of the obstacles that's 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 real out here. And what killed me more than anything is all about hype. You know, you hear stuff and you know people want to do this and that, and then when you go out and do it. It's a whole different story. It make you want to holler.
2: So we asked, how do you get past the hype and design something that enables small landowners to make a living off their land?
3: We should be able to communicate with each other that if we bought locally, that would make an impact. But I'm, I'm afraid that when we meet on Sunday morning, we don't talk about economic development. We're talking about going over yonder where you wear the golden slippers. And 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 I'm not I'm not down on that because I attend church regularly. As a matter of fact, I'm a deacon on the board, whatever. So we but we gotta to begin to think about what it is that we have in our hand. And uh the the, the 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 major impact can be done by people. Everybody that meets on Sunday morning, everybody that meets at the club on Saturday night. Everybody got to be on the same page. We not a lost cause. We not a lost people.
2: Also, Andrew says communities need to identify real leaders.
3: A lot of time we think that community leader is that shiny suit preacher that shows up on Sunday morning, or that politician that that talks really good when it's election time but you got to you got to look at at people and see who had have risen above the circumstances and that's your leader. In many cases that leader is that single mom that have survived. Most of the time in the black community they are females. In most cases you know because uh, they're strong, and they always been black females. Always been been strong, and they, and and, uh, and fairly free.
0: After the break, we hear from one of these leaders, a leader who has always been strong and decided to be free. Travel with Jackie Clay to Cuba, Alabama.
2: Maker's Mark bourbon is aged to taste in Loretto, Kentucky. The Samuels family uses locally grown, soft red winter wheat and sources water from a lake on the distillery's campus. Every Maker's Mark label is printed and die-cut by hand on an antique press, and each bottle is hand-dipped in their signature red wax. All the details matter when distilling quality bourbon. Since Maker's Mark sold its first case of bourbon to the Keeneland Racecourse in Lexington, they have perfected the craft of distilling American whiskey. For their dedication to making great bourbon and for their support of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we thank them. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way.
4: Yawa Awalowo, a vegan chef, runs Mahala Farm on her family's land
5: in the Black Belt. Greetings, Uh, I am Yawa Awalowo from Cuba, Alabama. I was born here. I'm a mother of nine, and I have 30 grandchildren and one great-grandchild. My mother is still alive. She is 97 years old. She also was raised on this land, and um, she has beautiful stories that sometimes she can tell um, in um, funny stories. (laughs) Yawa and her siblings were
4: raised mostly by their great-aunt Mahala, while their mother worked in Knoxville, Tennessee, and sent money home to Alabama. Yawa describes the farm, typical of a family farm in the Black Belt in the
5: 1950s and 60s. We had corn, cotton, orchards, cows, hogs, chickens, mule, and horses. So we were what you call self-sustaining. We drew our water from the well. We had a spring and we had creeks where we watered the animals. We had our own cow, so we milked, had our own milk, made buttermilk and our butter. Uh, we made um, our own molasses and we also used the molasses as sweetener. Every once in a while, my uncle used to rob honey from the bees in the wild and bring back honeycombs, so that was exciting. And we didn't have to buy wine or liquor. He made liquor, and my aunt made wine from china berries, muscadines, corn. I didn't have to ask for food because there was always plums, berries, nuts, something you could eat without asking if you was hungry you got it. We had so much food around us um, that we would eat the heart out of the watermelon. That's the middle, and we throw the rest to the chickens. <laughs> and that's something. Yawa eventually joined her mother in Knoxville,
4: but returned to her family land with her husband, Obafemi, and their children in the 1980s when the city life felt constrictive. Yawa and Obafemi raised six of their nine children on the farm and off the grid, teaching them self-sufficiency and educating them at home. I guess you would call me
5: a radical. I was just, I'm not, in, I'm not being in the box no more. I, I just got out of the box I don't want to be in the box. I got outside of the box, crushed the box. Set the box on fire. <laughs> and I said, we're free, children, you're, you're free. So they would be so far sometime, we wouldn't know where they was. But they would come back with different kind of nuts and berries and flowers and say, look what we found, mommy! Look, 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 mama, look. It was really rewarding um, watching them grow and having confidence in they self or who they was as you know little people on the earth growing up that way. If the lights don't come back on for two or three weeks, you know what to do. Um, if you happen to be a place um, that you can identify, that, that is a pecan tree. This is a pear tree. That's a peach tree. The plant identification that where you can um, Actually, forage food. Yahwa
4: returned to Tennessee and eventually ran a vegan catering business. But the family land in Alabama kept calling her, where actually her Aunt Mahala kept appearing in her dreams.
5: My aunt kept coming to me, you know, like, I need you to do what you say you're gonna do. Hmm. And it, it was so real, you know, she appeared in the, these visions, like, I'm seeing you all, that made me sit up and be like, okay, I guess I need to get to Alabama. So Yahweh did come back,
4: and she found comfort and care from her family, community, and the land. It's like this.
5: It's like somebody's rocking you and holding you. That's how I feel when I'm here. Even when I'm not doing nothing, I know that I'm doing something because I'm, I feel like I'm here and I'm honoring. Uh, it comes a time in your life you, you have to sit still sometimes.
4: Like Andrew Williams, Yahweh believes
5: that to thrive on the land, you have to listen to it. You've got to be in harmony um, with the earth because every place you plow up and you put a seed there, it don't mean that it's going to grow like that. One, one time I was plowing out there and I was planting all these seeds and they didn't come up. I said, oh, these seeds ain't no good. So I just tossed them. And where I tossed them. They came up. I had beautiful watermelon patch this summer, but I got my biggest watermelon where I tossed the seed when I was eating it. And that's why I kind of am right now, just allowing the earth to show me this will do good here, this will do good there. Like them flowers coming up right there, I had them in a box that I was going to plant. I never got around to it, then the blocks, the box disintegrated. So I'm going to leave that plant there. Because that's where it done decided. And I feel like if I take it up, it might not grow back where I decide that it needs
4: to grow. Yawa shares this message in the classes she teaches, encouraging folks to listen to the land, work in concert with it, and honor what it produces. Letting the natural flavors of
5: vegetables and the healing properties of herbs shine through. Everybody's so used to putting salt on their food that if you don't taste the salt, you say the food not good. You have no idea how that piece of broccoli tastes. You have no idea how, um, you know, potatoes taste. I baked them sweet potatoes. I ain't put no sugar, no brown sugar, no... no blah, blah, blah. I said, eat the potato. So they was like, hmm, this potato, pretty good. I took Rosemary. Because rosemary is a herb, especially for us as women, that when you're feeling anxious, you can just bruise it mm. and smell it, and it'll just calm you down. Take peppermint, the same thing, buy you some fresh peppermint, make you some tea, sniff the mint itself, chew it, drink the tea, or take orange peels, boil it in a pot, and mm-hmm. it, I say it'll calm down your old house. Someday. Yawa hopes to transform her land into a teaching farm and healing center. One of the things I do want to uh, be able to manifest on the land is a healing center. Like uh, when people like yourself and, you know, like yourself and Jackie, constantly working, working, working. Just come and put your feet in some red clay mm-hmm. and just sit there. <sighs> you know, and be. Andrew Williams and Yawa Awalowo
4: propose a model for the Black Belt's next era, one that centers the land and women leaders, one that requires listening, honoring, and rest, a future in which Black land ownership, cooperation, and care are, again, currency.
1: Gravy was reported and produced by Jackie Clay and Emily Blavos. Ms. Clay is the curator and executive director at the Coleman Center for the Arts in Sumter County, Alabama. Ms. Blavos is the executive director of the Alabama Folklife Association.
0: Gravy was mixed and edited by Matt Whitson, a video editor and audio engineer at Alabama Public Television.
1: Special thanks goes to Katie David Tynes and Adam Johnston.
0: We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music.
1: Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam, and she's sitting right next to me. Mary Beth Laster serves as our publisher. She's at the beach.
0: Visit us at southernfoodways.org to watch films, read your way through our event bibliographies, or listen to this podcast. And while you're there, become a member or make a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy.
1: I'm John T. Edge.
0: And I'm Melissa Hall.
1: Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.